0: Welcome to Liftoff with Energizing Results. Let me start with an invitation for you before we dive in. This is a safe and neutral space here. The more open and honest you answer the questions that come up to yourself, the more effective this will be for you. Sound good? Okay, here we go. Today, I'm very excited to introduce you to Massimo Bacchus. How are you doing, Massimo? And where are you hanging out right now?
1: I'm doing wonderful, and I'm in snowy Seattle, Washington right now.
0: You already have snow. You have my jealousy. We're waiting for it.
1: It's snowing as we speak. It looks like a winter wonderland out the window. It's beautiful.
0: Oh uh, uh, Yes, I'm, I'm looking really forward to it. It's almost snow. Wonderful. As a certified professional coach, Massimo offers clients an invitation onto a lifelong path of personal evo- uh, evolution. By combining a deep curiosity and expertise in organizational behavior, psychology, and team dynamics, Massimo cultivates increased emotional intelligence and agility. And I think your mission to turn toxic conflict into collaborative gold is remarkable. So I'm very thankful I can talk to you today, Massimo.
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm thankful to be here. Thanks for having me. Wonderful.
0: So the first thing I want to know is who's your ideal client and what's the biggest challenge they face?
1: My ideal client really comes down to this myth, this big lie, this assumption that Uh, executives and leaders oftentimes fall into, which is, if I don't stop being hard on myself, I'll lose my edge. If I'm not the hardest person on myself and harder on myself than anyone else, then I will stop performing at the top. I'll I'll, I'll lose my competitive advantage. And the truth is that that myth may have served us at one time. It's often the voice of our inner judge, critic, saboteur, whatever framing you want to put on it. Um, But the reality is, we start to realize that being hard on ourselves has negative impacts on the relationships around us because we are often hard on those people, too. And they may not be in a position to tell us, depending on where we are in leadership positions or how we show up in the world around us. But recognizing that there's another way to be in our leadership and how that actually can produce a greater outcome is uh, really kind of the, the, the core of my work.
0: So, I think you, you characterized uh, their behavior and kind of like the, the roots of uh, what they are challenged with. But what are, you know, kind of like, you know, is, is it only themselves that is the challenge, or are they also ch- challenged by something else in their environment?
1: It's a both and. There's definitely a challenge with how they view themselves. Um, oftentimes, it stems from some version of I'm not enough, I'm not worthy. And so, I need to compensate by being the most boisterous, or I need to prove that I'm the smartest person in the room, or I need to be the most dominant or the first person to speak. I need to make sure that all my ideas are accepted. And when you think from that framing, you limit the ability for psychological safety and for other people to bring their best ideas and to recognize that there's a collective wisdom. There's a knowing that we have in groups that are larger than ourselves, but we have to get out of our ways first. Then you look at what happens exterior to us, and it could be the environment that we're in or the relationships that we have, and those can be trigger points for us that continue to perpetuate this myth of if I'm, I'm not enough unless I am the smartest, unless I am the best, unless I'm always winning over everyone else, um, and so it can be self fulfilling.
0: I understand. Thank you for the clarification. So uh, most of us are human and we make mistakes. So, but what are common mistakes you know typically clients make when uh, trying to solve that kind of problem?
1: I think the biggest mistake I see is that they come to the realization that they have been operating with this myth, with this outdated operating model. And just by recognizing it, they get frustrated when it doesn't change immediately. And what they need to realize is that it is a a life's body of work that has gotten to the point where they have developed this operating system. So to rewire it, it takes time. It takes a lot of practice. It takes feedback. It takes trusted relationships with other people to let you know when it's working and when it's not working and, and what they see in you. Um, and then it takes deliberate practice on a daily basis through um, mindfulness and journaling and um, emotional agility. And, you know, all these are the things that help us show up in the present because it's only in the present that we can actually work on this um, this new way of leading. It's not something that we can do in the past to change. We can't change in the future. We can only change it in the moment.
0: Change is happening in the moment, in the present. That's so true. (laughs) Wonderful reminder. So before I ask Massimo, what is one valuable free action that our audience can easily implement? Let me quickly say something here to our audience. If you are enjoying the show so far, please rate and recommend us to someone you think could benefit from the show. Thank you in advance for spreading the word. So Massimo, what is one valuable free action that our audience can implement that will help with that kind of issue?
1: So I was just talking about how we were just talking about how the, the the change happens in the moment, that everything that's real is actually happening in the moment. And what is happening in moments for us in order to be present and, and fully show up and connect with the other person that we're with to bring our best self to the relationship, we need to be mindful of what it is that we're feeling, what's happening for us, both in our bodies, physically, am I feeling stressed, tightness, anxiousness, sweaty palms, to have mindful awareness of that? And what am I feeling emotionally right now? Am I feeling open and curious? Am I feeling very guarded and defensive? And recognizing what that is in the moment allows us to choose, is there something that I need to do in order to get myself into an emotional state where I can be most present so that I'm not in a place of being reactive over responsive? I'm not in a place where I'm being triggered by what the other person's saying, um, or I'm in a place where I'm trying to be protective of myself or my image as opposed to being present in, in the conversation and a relationship with other people. And so much of this comes down to what we've been talking about for years around emotional intelligence and the self-awareness and the self-management. But the opportunity is always in that moment to be aware. In this conversation, how am I feeling speaking with you? And and just to be aware of what that is. I'm feeling really curious. This is an enjoyable experience. Um, I'm curious to learn more about you. I'm in a good place. But if I wasn't and I was recognizing that maybe I was feeling... uh, nervous or i was having self-doubts on whether or not i would be articulate or say something that was interesting or you know um, impactful that would be something that would get in my way so being aware of it allows me to choose something different
0: excellent i was just going through how kind of like you know when we started our conversation even before uh what uh, our audience will, will listen to it's kind of, always kind of like that that game between each other to get to know each other and being open and being present in the moment and just uh, reacting to each other we had just kind of like that tech walkthrough kind of like what what's going on here in the background and so we're just connected over that so i think it's always fascinating how this can happen in the present if you're aware of there are always an opportunity to connect with each other Massime, don't you
1: think absolutely and in any time there's an interaction, you know it's um, we volley, right? And when we're in relationship, I admired your background in the lighting, and I, it, you know I, I was quite impressed, or still am quite impressed. And you could have responded by being self-deprecating. You could have responded being very closed off. You responded with, "Oh well, I'm happy to tell you about what I've done here." You were very open about it, so that was a very that was an invitation for me to to uh, you know feel closer to you more quickly in this conversation. So thank you for that.
0: My pleasure. Absolutely (laughs) not for that. So um, I want to give you also the platform uh, to share where people can find you and also what is one valuable free resource that you can direct people to that might help with that, not with the background, (laughs) but the issue that you help uh, your clients with.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So you can check me out on my website, massimobacchus.com. That's M-A-S-S-I-M-O-B-A-C-K-U-S. I'm also on LinkedIn and very active on social media. Um, And there's a resource on my website um, that is about turning toxic conflict into collaborative gold. And really, it is about that process of acknowledging what is it that we are triggered by or what is the emotion that is getting in our way. The research shows that when we can name an emotion, that emotion can pass within 30 seconds or less. But when we hold on to emotion, we've all experienced this before. We we have feelings about our feelings. I'm frustrated and I'm still angry with so-and-so. And then that frustration turns into resentment. And then you just get tired of that and this the kind of the cycle spins over so being able to recognize what are all the emotions that we work with um brene brown's book atlas of the heart which came out about a year ago is is phenomenal and it's essentially the encyclopedia of all the emotions we experience with some very detailed definitions because oftentimes there's certain emotions that um, seem as though they're the same but there's there's some differences so it's it's important for us to increase our emotional fluency and in her research, she found that most adults have the emotional fluency of five emotions. They they can name five emotions they're experiencing. And if you were to think about that as a language, imagine going through your life with only five words in your vocabulary. How would you navigate the world? How would you get directions? How would you communicate with people? How would you get what you need? How would you tell people how you're feeling? You wouldn't be able to communicate any of these things with just five words. So it's really important for us to develop a greater vocabulary around what is the breadth of emotions we experience, and that will actually allow us to experience them. And the hard emotions that are that are difficult to feel, We we can have a greater empathy for ourselves, compassion for ourselves, and we can name it with higher fidelity, and we can have a greater vibrance of the positive emotions when we can recognize that there are different variations of happiness or joy or excitement or enthusiasm or awe.
0: Well, very, very insightful thought. Thank you for uh, expanding our horizon of uh, our emotional feelings and that there's more than just five emotions that we can uh, count on uh, on a daily basis. So thank you for that. Of course, we'll put the link in the show description so folks can check it out. So what's the one question I should have asked you that would be of great value to our audience?
1: There's a concept of self-compassion, and I suppose the question would be, what is self-compassion and why is it so important? And I think right now in organizations and in our society, at large, compassion is having uh, a day in the sun. It's a bit in the zeitgeist right now, to be compassionate towards others. And what a, what a beautiful concept for us to rally around as a society, to be more compassionate towards one another. But I fundamentally believe that our ability to be compassionate towards others is limited if we are not able to be fully compassionate towards ourselves. It's not so much about the resilience that comes from self-compassion, but it's about the acknowledgement that we are human as well. And when you asked me earlier about my ideal clients, it's those people that are stuck in this mantra of um, the the limited myth that exists within servant leadership, which is I need to be um, in service of everyone else before myself. And, And yes, that is true, but not at the detriment of yourself. Because ultimately, that does come back to impact the people that you lead. Whether you think so or not, it does. We tend to be overly hard on ourselves, self-critical, self-judgmental, defensive. uh, We need to be right all of the time. We could be very controlling or micromanaging. Or on the other end of the spectrum, maybe we would be somebody who doesn't have any boundaries and we just say yes all the time because we desperately want people to like us and see us as valuable any of those in extreme are dangerous and have impacts to us as individuals and to the people that uh, are in our lives that we work with and in our personal lives and kristen neff uh dr kristen neff who's a professor um, here in texas has done research over the last 12 plus years on the concept of self-compassion and illustrates essentially three pillars that make up self-compassion the first is common humanity which is about whatever it is that I'm experiencing, I'm not alone in that experience. And specifically with compassion, if I'm suffering, I'm not alone in my suffering. Now, I may have just lost a loved one. That may not be true for you, Uwe, but you can experience, you have that idea of what that is. You have empathy for what that is. And there are people that have experienced that, sadly. And so I am not alone in my pain, even though it can feel very isolating when we're we're suffering. The second piece of it is around mindful awareness, and that goes back to connecting with what is the emotion that I'm feeling, how is that impacting my behavior and how I'm responding to the stimulus response to coin uh, the great uh, Viktor Frankl. And then the third piece is around self-kindness. And that isn't about giving yourself a pass or calling in sick every day, but it's recognizing that if we are under stress or anxiety or having a hard time, that we are also deserving of kindness just as we would give to someone else. And when we're so focused on being servant leaders, we're happy to be kind towards others, but we serve ourselves last. And sometimes we need kindness. And that could be, I need to start this meeting five minutes late. Or can we take this meeting over a phone call so I can go for a walk outside because I've been, you know, on Zoom all day and I'm I'm fatigued. Or I need to block some time on my calendar so I can do some deep productive work and I need to put some some guardrails up because that's what's right for me in order to continue this project or continue to lead the team. Those are just a few examples, but this is not about self-pity or giving yourself a pass or any notion of weakness at all. And the research around self-compassion actually proves that those that practice self-compassion, mindful self-compassion on a regular basis, are more resilient and are more willing to bounce back from a defeat than those that do not.
0: Very important, critical point that you just make, and also thank you for for diving deeper into and sharing uh, your your valuable insights. So, and we're going on the on a deeper level here already. And this brings me to my final question. It's a personal one. When was the last time you experienced goosebumps with your family, and
1: why? So when you had sent these questions before this interview, it, this question made me smile. Uh, I felt so grateful that. Multiple stories came to mind very quickly. Um, But one most recently this weekend, um, I was with my family away for uh, it's Thanksgiving. It was just Thanksgiving here in the United States. And we were away at our our cabin as a family, and it was snowing outside there as well. It was beautiful. And I came inside from uh, shoveling some snow, and my son came to me and he said, hey, I wrote a story. Would you like to read it? And he's eight years old. And I read the story, and it was about, he's a, an only child, and it's about a, a father and a son and a mother in a faraway land in a different universe and with all these amazing details. But the story and and the nuance and the surprises that he embedded in the story, I was just so happy. I was delighted to see his creativity coming to life. Um, and the pride that he felt, you know, seeing me read it and knowing that I was delighted and I was entertained and I was intrigued and I wanted more. Uh, It was just, um, I get chills just talking about it now.
0: Having the chills, yeah, mission accomplished. So thank you for sharing this wonderful goosebumps moment, you know, with your loved one, with your um, son. Uh, It's an amazing story and a reminder. So how close we are when we are fully present in the present, right? Indeed. (laughs) Wonderful. Well, thank you, Massimo, for this wonderful Goosebumps moment. Also, thank you for our conversation. It was a pleasure talking to you, and I appreciate very much the knowledge and insights you share with us today.
1: Thank you for having me. It was an absolute pleasure.
0: Oh, pleasure was mine. Thank you for listening, and as always, energizing results to you and your loved ones. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and recommend on Apple Podcast. Overcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also get more great information at uve.horn.com.